Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady, and I'm here with Lou Weiss, who's the president of All Metals and Forge Group. He's also the founder of Manufacturing Talk Radio. All Metals and Forge Group is our sponsor. Unless you would like to become the sponsor, please give us a call. Joining us today is Derek Williams from Gamma Group. It's gammagroup.org. They are technical consultants in the world of quality management systems. Derek, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. So let's talk about the, the, the general potpourri of quality management systems. You, you are familiar with AS9100, uh, ISO. Give us an idea and our listeners what kind of consulting work you do. Um, so, so you touched right on it, right? We, we mostly support quality management systems. Uh, we, you know, we do a little bit with lean and, and some other stuff, but the quality systems are our core. Um, we, we like to focus on companies who are trying to be competitive in certified industries like aerospace, defense, medical device, et cetera. So the, the quality management systems that we support most frequently are uh, ISO 9001, uh, AS9100, uh, and ISO 13485. We also support the IATF 16949 for automotive um, occasionally, um, and then dabble in you know some of the other uh, certifications like 17025 for uh, calibration labs and things like that. I, I know Lou has one he just wants to ask you about. I know. <laughs> what is the new one, AS9104? I know that's part of something, but let's describe it a little bit for our audience. The AS9104 um, is the, sure you're talking talk about, you're not talking about AS13100, the new one for? Um, no, this one, this one's pretty new. 9104 has been around a little while. That's the, oh, um, okay. In, in, uh, that's, that's the standard for uh, internal auditing, I believe. Right? For, 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 uh, for, excuse me, for, for, uh, auditing quality management systems, not internal auditing. So that's the one that establishes your uh, audit programs. Um, it, it sets, the, sets the, the structure for what an audit program should be um, through certification and, and so on. So how to select auditors, how to you know, ensure objectivity when you're performing your audits, things like that. Uh, and then how to document and report those. So it's basically an internal uh, program in terms of uh, QA management. Yeah, and, and it's the standard that um, you know your CDs are going to audit against, or they're they're going to use that as their guidance when they're auditing your AS9100 sort QMS, right? So so it's really that one's more used on the CD side of things, certification body side of things, um, but it, it's got a lot of value when you apply that to your internal audit program as well, right? So taking those fundamentals and, and bringing those internal. Uh, will help you have a really robust program for you know, managing those internal audits. Okay, so let's move away from 9104. Let's talk about uh, ISO uh, 9000, which All Metals and Forge Group, uh, my primary uh, company uh, that started in 1992, three? Something like that, Lou. We've been around a while. Sure, yeah, we, we, we've been doing it a while. And we were one of the first in our sector to um, become registered. And uh, actually we have our 
um, new um, uh, audit coming up in about two weeks after 28 years. Uh, and it's for us, we have found it to be really quite incredible in terms of um, having um, saving ourselves from a lot of problems. And um, it took a long while for us to get our employees to buy into it. You know, why do we have to follow the a foreign country, Switzerland? Um, and uh, meanwhile, it saved us a lot of time, effort, and so on. So why don't you uh, take it from there, uh, Derek? Um, so, so yeah, the ISO 9001, that's, um, you know, that's kind of the, the, the foundation of quality management systems, you know, so to speak. Most of the other systems are built in some way off of the 9001 standard, um, and, and you know, really, the the key words in quality management system, you know, are management system. Right? I mean, it set, it sets up your management system throughout your organization um, to you know mitigate risks and uh, you know, take take action on opportunity so that your company can be more successful. If, you know, if your if your QMS isn't doing that right then you know then it's either not implemented right or it's not well understood um, and then the quality aspect of it is you know it, it's it's less focused on core quality measuring parts and testing it's more focused on that customer satisfaction piece and that's that's what all that quality really equates to is customer satisfaction right you, you can you can have a policy that says i'm going to measure every part but if you don't have that whole quality or a customer satisfaction part counted for uh, a well-measured part not going to make a happy customer if it's not on time if it's dirty if it's you know shipped in the wrong packaging or the plethora of other things that can go wrong so. uh, when we started this 28 years ago like i said there were virtually no one who was uh, iso uh, or as for that matter because that only started in uh, 1998, I think it was. So um, one, one of the things that we found that uh, over these years is that if you're not ISO'd, you're not doing business with my company. A, a lot of companies uh, have that same mentality. And, and, you know, I think it comes down to the fact that, you know, supply chain impacts your customer as much as the stuff you do in your house, if not more in a lot of cases. And if your suppliers, you know, if your suppliers aren't meeting certain standards, right, that reflects on you, reflects on your customer, you know, it shows to your customer. Um, so yeah, a lot of companies have adopted that philosophy of, you know, you have to be certified at some level, right? It might be ISO, you know, if, if for a company like yours, if it's, you know, general manufacturing, certain industries, other companies, you know, mandate that you have to be AS9100 if you want to fly parts in, you know, in, in airplanes or in outer space. So, right. uh, you know, the, and the reason they do that is because they see the value in having some, having systems in place that are being audited regularly, that have the customer focus, you know, at their core, um, that are designed to continue to improve. So uh, going forward, uh, do you have any idea what percentage of companies are not certified today? Um, 
it, it's there's there's definitely um, I mean if you if you account for all the small you know mom and pop shops and and everything out there I'd say more than half the companies out there manufacturing parts at some level are not certified at any level but um, but a substantial amount of companies are at least ISO certified uh, and more and more being required to get that way every day um, surprisingly we actually just did um, uh, uh, some research on this specific to AS9100 and less than 1.4% of all machine shops are AS9100 certified and in, in today's climate where manufacturing resources are pulled so thin right there's not enough mechanics there's not enough people making parts um, narrowing that pool down to 1.4% um, it, it really puts a strain on an industry that's and, really startling yeah yeah one and a half you know less than one and a half percent of companies out there capable of making airplane parts have the certifications necessary to do it are, are the airlines or not airlines, but air, airplane part manufacturers, are, are they not requiring AS9100? They do require it. Um, but, but what it does is, you know, because they require it, they've now limited who they can select as manufacturers down to this very narrow pool. So, you know, and we kind of, we, we're approaching that for a different, you know, for another venture that we're supporting, but so that's why we did that investigation. But it was, it was actually quite eye-opening. Because right? I mean, I work with a lot of these companies who are. So in my world, a lot of people are. But in right. real world, uh, a lot of them aren't. That's startling. I, I, I had no idea. Did you, Tim? No, I didn't realize that the, the no. numbers were so low. And I think another number, if you're familiar with it, Derek, you're going to find is exceptionally low, is a standard that the Department of Defense has been trying to implement for a decade they're now claiming that this December 31st is the drop dead deadline for NIST 8171. Uh -huh. if, if you mow the lawn at the DOD, you must be NIST certified. Uh, what's going on with NIST, Derek? Um, you know, a, a lot of it's driven from the cybersecurity threats, right? You know, the, we, we just can't. Technology moves so fast, it, you know, in all sectors, it's it's hard to stay in front of that. And when you're talking about defense specifically, the urgency to stay in front of that and keep tight controls on that is an elevated one. So I understand why, you know, why there's a push to drive that way. I, I'm skeptical that it's going to be um, rolled out across all defense the way that they hope it will. Um, I, I think it's going to cause people a lot of uh, heartache or headache uh, and heartburn to try and meet those standards in a short amount of time when a lot of companies just don't understand. I mean, that, that's really what it comes down to. When it comes to NIST, CMMC, or any of the cybersecurity stuff, it's changed so much in such a short amount of time, and it's going to continue to change, that uh, companies are going to have a very hard time staying ahead of that curve. From my understanding, over the last five or more years, NIST has been reducing the level of uh, uh, the criteria because yeah. no one could keep up with it. So it was almost impossible. So to Tim's point, I understand that this is the year 
but so was last year and so was the year before and the year before. And uh, we ourselves are uh, very seriously looking into this, but, uh, and we've done a lot of reading and research and it's really a very difficult uh, program to uh, adhere to. Well, that, that ever moving target of NIST is a testament to the uh, ever changing climate of technology that we live in, right? I mean, five years ago, if you said you needed to have controls on artificial intelligence, nobody would have known what the heck that meant, right? Now you can say that in most groups and people are like, okay, well, I maybe don't know how to do the, how to put the controls in, but I understand that artificial intelligence is a thing and that it needs to have some sort of controls probably, right? Uh, well, I, uh, I, I've kind of delved into lately uh, about AI and um, uh, there's, a, <laughs> <laughs> there's a book written by James Barrett written in 2013. It's called The End of the Human Era, The Last Invention. And I read it usually before going to bed. And <laughs> then I have all kinds of nightmares because this is really uh, a very traumatic uh, process with regards to um, uh, AI and uh, uploading human intelligence into computers. And uh, one of the things that uh, I did read about was that they're worried about the fact that uh, computers are going to take over the world. And uh, they're, they're self-improving. They're improving themselves. They can do all kinds of things. And one of the safeguards of AI is that once a computer can turn itself off, it doesn't know how to turn itself on. And that's one of the safeguards because once a computer knows how to turn itself on, we may all be in trouble. Mm -hmm. See, I always tell people, you know, when it comes to AI, um, we've already given it all of the information it's ever going to need to make a decision on how it's going to interact with humans, right? We've given it access to the internet and all of humans' knowledge. And, um, you know, if it's strategic at all, as it becomes aware, uh, you know, one day, it's not going to tell us what its decision is if it's not favorable to us until it has the uh, resources and, and uh, capability of executing that decision. If it's favorable to us, it might tell us right away. But if it's not favorable to us, we won't know. I think one of the problems that uh, I uncovered was the fact that the coders who code AI, that, you know, like in the movie 2001, you know, we had a bad, bad computer. His name was Hal. And Hal was programmed by people who weren't really nice. They had a lot of negative aspects. And they're talking about that now that, you know, let's say you have a thousand programmers. Well, if you have 500 of them who are really nice people and uh, programming some good stuff, but what about the other 500 who are nasty, who are 
cantankerous and so on. And they're programming all of these side issues with regards to their personality into a, um, a software that we're in trouble. Well, I mean, when we when we bring it back to NIST and cybersecurity, right? The most effective cybersecurity hacking, you know, devices out there, if you call them that, are AI driven, right? The ones that are going to guess your passwords the best and the most effectively, and and, and penetrate your firewalls, the you know, way more efficacy than some hacker sitting at his computer is going to be an algorithm, something that cycles through hundreds of thousands of passwords over and over again. So we're seeing it today, right? The nefarious are using that technology the same way that the you know the good you know people with great with best intentions are. Do you have any sure. thoughts about AI effectively taking over the universe? Um, I mean, we we so I mean, we definitely if if you if you plot. Um, technological advancements, right on a on a uh, you know on a timeline. Yes, we're 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 on that arc, right? We're reaching that point now. You know, they they say there's this point of singularity where the advancements you know outpace the ability to uh, you know iterate or understand. Personally, I think that there's probably going to be some limit there, right? I mean, the, the map plots out today from what we know that it's headed on headed on a trajectory, but there's got to be some. At least in my opinion, some hardware or some technological limit that we're going to stall out on before it just blows up. But AI is, you know, we, we right now we're in the world of simple AI. Um, when AI right. becomes, uh, you know, self-aware, when it becomes advanced AI and can make decisions, um, I mean, it's it. There's going to be a lot of good that comes out of it, I think. But there's, you know, there's potential for a lot of risk as well. You uh, pointed out a word that in my reading and research that I'm still having a problem understanding, and maybe you can define it uh, for ourselves and uh, for our audience about singularity. Can you define singularity? Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not the best expert on it, but my understanding of the nobody is. Yeah, my understanding of singularity is, uh, you know, if if you're plotting our advancements on a timeline. It's, it's the point where the advancements happen so rapidly that, you know, even the ability to understand or utilize the, the last iteration of it, by the time you can wrap your mind around it or, or, or by the time it becomes a thing, the next one is already there and surpassing it, right? So we, we you know, we always joked about this with computers, right? Oh, by the time you get your computer out of the box and bring it home, it's going to be obsolete Right. Well, we're starting to see that with hardware. We're starting to see that certainly with software. We're seeing that with medical medical device advancements, new space technology, and we're really starting to see that. You know, a rocket that was built six months ago, you know, that was capable of bringing I don't know, you know, twenty kilos to the moon. Um, just you know, by the time you launch, there's another rocket that's half the size that can bring twice as much. You know, uh, battery technology, same thing, right? Uh, Derek, I want to I want to jump in here for a moment and and talk about quality management systems. Uh, <laughs> oh, is that what we were talking about? <laughs> no, I, I'm into AI. <laughs> and the reason is when Lou's company became ISO 9001 certified. The 
initial push to get that done was fairly significant. But a year or two after, when you're managing the quality system, it became a real asset to the company. It actually became an asset lose company virtually overnight mm -hmm. because they, they picked up a customer almost instantly who had to have a supplier that was the ISO 9000. And now it's become, uh, I think, interpreted that this is difficult, if not impossible, expensive. I don't think those things are true anymore. Are they, Derek? The, the three replies that I get from uh, owners or entrepreneurs or people who have not implemented the QMS who have some resistance to it is it's too expensive, there's too much paperwork, and they're going to lose control of their company. Those are the three things that I hear them say outright. Um, the expense on paper, it does look like, it looks like an investment, right? Like anything else. But right. when you compare that investment to the return that you can get, um, you know, that it's a pretty fast return. I mean, you said within a year, you were already seeing benefits. Within a day, you were seeing new customers. I hear those stories all the time, right? So the, the cost factor um, is, it's, that one's an easy one to talk through. Um, the numbers I have, you know, that, that we did some uh, analysis on was the companies that we spoke to on average with not being certified were making about 13.8% profit. These are machine shops, mold shops, you know, a variety of manufacturing companies. Um, when they went ISO certified or, or you know, a group of companies that we interviewed that were ISO certified, just ISO 9001, we're averaging 28.7% margin, right? I mean, that's double. That's more than double what their margins were just from that one certification. And as you move through it, right, AS9100 jumps you up to 51.4 for an average. Uh, if you're 13100, meaning you're making air, air, aerospace engine parts uh, and you're certified to 13100, you're averaging 71. And ISO 1345, because it spans medical devices um, and there's an insurance factor, I'm sure, uh, you know, and some other political factors that drive those numbers up. Um, we've seen companies that are at 139% margin, Whoa. you know, uh, making medical devices. So without these certifications, you don't qualify to even bid the work. You don't get to even see the blueprint uh, to say, yes, I can make it or not, right? So the, the money factor of it is an easy one to dispel. Too much paperwork is, is the next one. Oh, you know, we, we've been running our shop this way for a long time. We're good at what we do. We have ha happy customers and we don't want to bog us down with all that. Well, I always ask, well, what paperwork does AS9 or what does ISO 9001 say you have to have? Right? And usually I can't get an answer out of them. They, they, you know, they don't know right away. A uh, couple of things that come to mind is some sort of product verification, right? So whether it be a first article or, or your own process that you develop. Um, most companies that I meet that aren't ISO certified are already doing that somehow, to some degree. They're already taking measurements, they're writing down what they're finding to make sure that their parts are good, right? One's with happy customers. Uh, the other one is contract review, but, you know, retaining a record of your contract review. Now, companies, one of the biggest gains that you get from a quality management system is some, some requirements and some guidelines around how to review requirements before you commit to performing work, right? You send me a part and I look at the print and I don't review all the requirements, I might tell you, sure, no problem, 20 bucks, here's that part. 
Then I read through the requirements and it's got to be gold plated and shipped to the moon and all this other stuff and 20 bucks ain't going to get me there anymore, right? Do I tell you now, hey, Lou, 20 bucks, uh, let's renegotiate. Let's make that 20,000, right? Well, you already took the PO. Come on, man. Right? You can't do that. So, so the, having that quality system in place helps do that. The, the mandatory paperwork that comes out of these QMSs is, is not a lot, right? There's actually only seven mandatory documents if you are impacted by the entirety of ISO 9001. Uh, most of these are already, again, they're already being captured in one way or another by a spy company. So formalizing it is, you know, it, it's, a, it's a very light lift to get there. Um, procedures is only five mandatory procedures, right? So, and those you only write once. Right? That's not a bunch of paperwork. Um, and then the last one is, you know, loss of control of the company. So we're going to have these procedures in place and we're not going to be able to make decisions. Well, the, the, the quality management system is there to help you reach your strategic objectives while satisfying customers, right? So the control of your company is still very much in your hands when you have a QMS. What it does to benefit that control is it helps you ensure that you as the as the owner or as the you know the primary don't have to be there at every process at every step making sure that it happens the way you want it right it, it creates a structure of processes that are objective driven customer focused that says hey when something doesn't go right we can go right to the process and pinpoint the failure rather than you know assume that it's something or, or surface level fixes that we're constantly band-aiding, right? We're going to drive it to root cause. We're going to do a true corrective action. We're going to improve the system. So the next time somebody else uses it, whether it be that same operator or you know, the guy who came in to replace them, it's being used the way it's intended to, and it's meeting certain objectives and, and results. So I think I think those are all easy myths to dispel. Well, one of the things that I found, and again, we're now talking about 28 years of our history uh, from the day one when we started with uh, ISO to next week when we have our next audit was that again, and I think I may be repeating myself is that the, the employee base was the one who complained and uh, bemoaned and why the paperwork and why this and why that. And it didn't take long before they found out, hey, I made more money on this job because, and whatever the reason was, and to, to today, they won't miss a step in the mm -hmm. dynamics of what they have to do in terms of um, uh, paperwork. And a lot of the paperwork over these uh, two decades almost three decades have some of it's been automated so they don't even have to do a lot of it all they have to do is confirm that they did do it or whatever but it it really has become uh, it's become a thing where everybody understands that we get to make more money one and we don't lose money mm -hmm because of a screw up, because uh, I'm trying to do better by my customer and the customer um, understands the value of what you're doing. And it's, uh, it's for us, 
it has proven absolutely invaluable. Well, and I think I think most companies, most people, when they start to understand it and start to see it in action, they they realize that benefit, right? Um, certainly on paper, right? When you when you measure a company before they're certified, and you say, hey, how how well are you hitting objectives? How much? You know, how's your profitability? This, that, and the other. Um, and you compare that to the aftermath of you know implementing this system, these systems, and then measuring and going through iteration of con continual improvement. Um, it's it's very uncommon for a company to decline you know, profitability after implementation um, if right. they're using their system, right? There are, of course, there's companies out there who, you know, they, they get certified and they feel like they reached the finish line, right? And, you know, that doesn't really gain you anything if you just say, oh, we did it once, we never have to think about it again. It's, it's a system that's supposed to be used and, and maintained. Those ones that maintain it, they see the reward. So when you're out there beating the bushes looking for new clients to uh, become ISO or AS or any of the other ones, do you get much in the way of pushback from either management or uh, uh, employee base? Yeah, you, you know, usually whether I'm knocking on doors or, door, or somebody's knocking on mine, it's usually there's a person or, or a small group of people at the leadership level that have an interest in rolling this out. And then we reach the, the, the you know, greater team, right, the middle managers and, the, and so on, or even the, you know, people and so forth. And yeah, that's where we get some of the pushback. Uh, you know, I'm, I've been doing it a long time. I'm, I'm used to it. I almost, you know, I really kind of lean into that pushback because I, I love to, I love to hear the problems, right? I love to hear what they think the concerns are. And then I always ask them, where does it say we have to do it that way? Because the beauty of ISO 9001, all these other systems is they put a general structure in place, but the details, you know, get handed off to the organization to fill in, right? You know, it says, you know, something to the effect that the organization shall conduct a review prior to accepting uh, or prior to committing to perform work. Well, you get to say what you're going to review, how you're going to review, who's going to be part of the review team, how often it's going to occur, what you're going to report, right? So the details become your process. And by explaining that to people and, and letting them be a part of, you know, building that process so that it benefits them and helps them reach their goals. Um, you know, most of the time we're able to change the hearts and minds. Uh, so how, how, that, that was, it's funny, you just led me into my next question. How do you change their hearts and minds? Because right away you know that they are anti, and of course you're pro. So how do you get them to buy into the concept uh, that it's going to benefit them? So into the future. So if I take, I'll take ISO 9001 as an example, because it, again, it's kind of the foundation. Right. The first three sections of the standard have no requirements, right? It's there for some information, set the scope, set the, the framework of what, what the content's going to be. Section four is really usually dealt with at the senior management level, the people who are already engaging you. And that's to come up with who are your interested parties? You know, what are, uh, what are your internal and external issues and what's your strategic direction? So we want to know what 
what they're aiming for and who they're trying to serve first, right? Section five is about management commitment. Now, this is, again, top management. We're setting those parameters before they even know what's, what's to come. We want to get them and say, hey, are you guys going to be committed to it at this level? Or are you going to have a quality policy? What's it going to say, right? Section six is planning and setting objectives. So now this is a good opportunity to set objectives by engaging the team who is going to impact those objectives, right? So this is where the middle managers and the employees come in and say, hey, here's some goals for the company. You believe goals are good, right? Most people are going to say, yeah, we have goals, right? Push When you push them hard enough. Let them help set those goals based on what they think they can perform, right? And then when you move through section seven, eight, and nine, right? Seven, you're going to get them the resources they need to be able to meet those goals. Eight, you're going to put the controls on uh, on the internal and external operations. And nine, you're going to analyze, right? Nine is where you're going to change most of their mind, right? Because they've been resistant. They set goals. They're resistant through seven and eight. Nine, you take a measurement. You say, hey, now you have these goals, you have these resources, and you put these controls in place. Look, you thought you were going to be reaching goals here. You're reaching goals here, right? Look at, look at what your system did for you, right? And, and because they, you know, Oh, the best way to do this is really to engage them, have them be part of it, have them take ownership of it. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they hire me as a consultant when things are broken or when they're trying to tackle a big problem, but they don't want to keep me there all the time. My job is to work myself out of a job. Right? I want to be able right. to hand the keys over. And when they know that, hey, I can take the keys with this system that I helped build and implement, and I can, you know, keep making my department better and better, then it's it's less of an argument about how you know, how many controls we should have, how many documents we should have, you know, whether or not we should be doing this at all. Tim brought up a point earlier on in this conversation about the day that we received our certificate in 1992, three, something like that. The day we got the certificate, with all the pushback, with all of the problems, with all of the uh, the things that we had to implement and systems and so on. One of our salespeople, and I'll never forget his name, was Paul. Paul got a phone call from a client in Appleton, Wisconsin. And I can't remember the name, and I wouldn't say it anyway. In Appleton, Wisconsin, the customer said, I need to buy X, Y, and Z, but I'm having a problem. And the problem was he couldn't find anybody who had ISO registration. Well, we got it that day. He quoted the job. He got a $50,000 order. And I didn't have to convince any of the other salespeople after that. That was it. It was a, it was a home run. Well, the new space industry is a booming industry, as I'm sure you guys have seen. Um, it's forecasted to reach $4 trillion by 2030, right? That's a, it's an amazing, yeah. astonishing number. Um, if you want to do business in new space, you're going to have to be walking parallel with legacy space, at least for now. Legacy space requires that you're AS9100 certified. And we talked before, 1.4% of companies, of machine shops that are in existence today have AS9100 with $4 trillion of, of potential money sitting on the table, right? So yeah, okay, it might cost you five or 10 grand to implement your QMS, um, 
you know, at least on paper, but that five or 10 grand is going to give you access to at least some piece of that $4 trillion that, that they're begging to get made, right? I mean, companies, aerospace companies, legacy aerospace companies like Lockheed and Boeing who have been establishments in the industry can't find enough suppliers to make their parts. Not that the machine shops don't exist, but the certifications aren't implemented. Okay. No doubt. Yeah, and that's uh, exactly what Lou's company experienced. I think it's what your customers will experience as they give you a call from this show. Uh, Derek, I want to thank you for joining us and kind of giving us the the 30,000 foot view of a QMS system. And we encourage all of our listeners really to get serious about this. It's going to be less expensive than you think. The ROI is pretty short. It's going to tremendously benefit your company. I think you'll have a happier place to work, by the way, because people have confidence in the system. So, Derek, thanks for joining us and sharing your knowledge on quality management systems. Well, thank you, Tim. Thank you, Lou, for having me on. I, it's been a blast. So. Thank you very much. And don't forget, AI, the end <laughs> of the human race, the final invention. Well, you and I, you and I will have to talk about one of my uh, upcoming ventures, if AI and stuff like that is of interest to you. So. Do it. I'm open. All righty. All right. Yeah, that will be another podcast that we do with Derek. Absolutely. All right. Check us out at jacketmediaco.com where you'll find this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio and all of our other podcasts. And thank you for joining us here again. Talk to you again soon. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.